Well, I guess I'm first since we don't have top. <laughs> hey. That's interesting. I'll do it. I'll start. I'll, I'll start. I'll, I'll, just, I'll bring you in. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll start it. I'll start it. I'm gonna start it. Not you, me. Okay, you can start. It. All right, where are we? Hello, you just heard uh, the little bit of argument about how we're gonna start this. Uh, welcome to the Heavy Hole Podcast. My name is Justin. Uh, my name's Tom. No, Tom's not here. That's why it's all loose and crazy. Later, Tom. Yeah, when the cat's away, the boys will play. Whatever they say, I'm rapping. It's a rap <laughs> podcast now. No. <laughs> No, no, come on, let's get it together for Tom. He's always like the stalwart, you know, kind of uh, 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 like sideman, keeping everything in line. Tom's the rock. Yeah, the, the overseer. That's why he's not here. He is the rock. <laughs> yeah, he's right. working on his Hollywood career. No, on shout location. out to Tom. He's uh, on vacation. Um, we hope he's enjoying himself. All the best. Uh, but this is still the Heavy Hole Podcast, and I am still Big Will, that's a.k.a. Right. Uncle Buck. You know it. Uh, Justin already introduced himself. We argued about it. We flipped a coin. He won. Um, so, Justin, uh, without any further ado, sure. Uh, there's no one here for me to just like segue out of your how was your weekend <laughs> and breeze over you and ignore you like I used to. So, you got to tell us how was that weekend? I do miss living in the mystery. Mm. Um, weekend was good, man. I uh, got birds moving into my birdhouse. Uh, that I had built. Uh, it's been a year. I had the for rent sign up all year. Is this some sort of hip hop slang right now, or do you have a new girlfriend or something? What is going on? I'm yeah. lost. No, actually, this is not slang. This is a. Uh, this is all uh, real. Uh, I built a birdhouse uh, okay. about a year ago. Okay, you know, one of them COVID projects people talk about. Yes, you know, uh, buying my saws, yes, my sanders, my screw True. guns. I uh, put that together, and I got a lovely little bird couple uh, living nice. above uh, above me uh, oh. when I go outside and smoke my cigarettes. Beautiful. Yeah, so I'm really enjoying that. And, uh, yeah, man, just writing riffs, getting the riffs going. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, shit, might be a new uh, Long Island hardcore band coming out soon. Okay. Uh, All right. You know, keep oh. your ears out and your fingers on the band camp button. Yeah, I'll, I'll stand by the bar. That's, That's <laughs> When it comes to Long Island hardcore, I stand by the bar adjacent to the exit. Right? That's right. Yeah. I Too also old. like being on, on stage at hardcore shows because, yeah. you know, sometimes you could just stand behind the amps and yeah. it's uh, less dangerous. The upper ground. That's as right. As they say in, in warfare. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, how about you, man? How was your weekend? Oh, I'm good. You know, I'm I'm, I'm excited a little bit. They, they're talking about opening up. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, they're putting dates on it here in New York. And I see that. Bars might open up the, the uh, what's that, Broadway's opening up eventually. That's right. They're getting ready. A little bit of hope, a little bit of optimism. Yeah, dude, Mudvayne's getting back together. Yeah, Mudvayne's in the in the mix. <laughs> it's all good. You know what I'm saying, man? They, things are, you know, looking up a little bit. Dude. It's still pretty sick and horrible and sad. Yeah. Out there on planet Earth, but there's a few things that we can, you know what I mean, and 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 you know the Broadway, like you might have, like New York City opens up, you have the opera, you'll have like the the goth clubs, you yeah. know what I'm saying, the metal clubs. Hopefully, maybe somebody will care about St. Vitus, my favorite bar, one day. Yeah, I think so. Maybe, I don't know if Cuomo knows about them, but regardless, we're talking about projects that people have been worked on while they're cooped up during the pandemic. We're talking about opera. Yeah. Amazing vocalists, beautiful singing that, do, that do not growl or scream. They Tr- they sing. That's right. They really sing. Uh, Little, can you understand it? I don't know. Yeah, gothic imagery, vampire. I said that. Yeah, that was part of my sentence. Dark before. times. Listen, today I got to put the segue aside. No more BS. Uh, she doesn't like me to say this, but we got a legend. Oof. Yeah. Like, sorry, I said it. Uh, the most honorable Sarah Jezebel Diva, vocalist. Solo artist in her own right, currently promoting her latest project. 
Torn Between Two Worlds. You might also know her from her time in Angtoria, uh, featured artist performing with Cradle of Filth, Mortis, Theorion. The list goes on. There you go. Trailblazer. Yeah, Trailblazer. Listen, I'm going to go outside and blaze something real quick. You get her on the horn. Hello, England. Bing bong. We did it. We don't need Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Heavy Hole Podcast. This is Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck, joined with me, as always, by Justin, my loyal co-host. And Tom is here in spirit and editing and engineering behind the scenes. We love Tom. But we had to uh, schedule this a little differently than usual today because we have a guest uh, calling in from outside of the United States. Our guest today is none other than Sarah Jezebel Deva. Uh, uh, Sarah, did I get your last name Deva right? No. <laughs> is it D- but we can fight about that later. <laughs> it's no. D- is it Diva? Yeah. Well, so Danny Filth picked that name, um, and I'm assuming it is Diva. I've always gone by that name, and he's always used that name. Other people do say Deva, and obviously I don't want to correct them because <laughs> I could be correcting the wrong thing. But as far as I'm aware, yeah, Sarah Jezebel Diva. I mean, I know I've got the Sarah bit right, so, you know. <laughs> I love it so much that we're not even going to edit that out. Thank you so much. And I, I'm not going to name the name, but I heard another uh, platform say Diva. That's why I got it wrong. But Sarah Jezebel Diva, um, solo performer in her own right, uh, currently of Torn Between Two Worlds, formerly of Anctoria, and as featured in the bands Cradle of Filth, Therion, Mortis, and many more. Did I get all that uh, correct, at least? <laughs> no. God, you're terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. You excellent, did. excellent. We're very uh, thrilled to have you on. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Um, and had looked you up without even realizing you had new music coming out uh, in Torn Between Two Worlds a few uh, weeks ago. And we're going to get into that and talk about um, a lot that's going on throughout your career. But we always be- we always start from the very beginning, Sarah. And the question the listeners know I'm about to ask is, um, are you from a particularly musical family or a family that was inclined towards heavy metal and hard rock at all? Nope, not at all. In fact, didn't really listen to music until, well, I don't know, um, going back back to the like very, very beginning, um, I was probably about seven or eight. I think when Holiday and True Blue by Madonna came out, sorry, I know it's not very grim and it's not very <laughs> metal, but that was my first real introduction when Madonna brought that single out and... Um, my brother had just left home and he left me his record player and that was the very first track that I had or you know um, single and um, I'd always sung at home you know like children do but it wasn't until I got into Madonna that I uh, at a very young age that I had this passion for music but there wasn't much music played in the home it wasn't um, you know without like 
anyone getting tissues out. It wasn't that kind of childhood. There was no freedom. There was nothing like that. Um, it wasn't until I left home that I was more exposed to, to music. So, and then, I mean, I was always into 80s pop because I was born in 77. So, you know, um, there was no real influence to heavy metal or anything like that until I was about 15 years old. So, as I say, prior to that, it was all 80s, 90s pop music. Okay, and I have here in my notes that age 11, you begin performing at what's known as the Queen's Theatre? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I only done... I've done it twice. Do you know what? I'm 44 now. I mean, I, I can't remember half of the stuff I've done now. Um, I actually, you know, in school, I was... I um, I was in a choir and I performed at the Royal Albert Hall, um, which is obviously really famous. I don't know if you guys are aware of the Royal Albert Hall, but um, I did something there. And then after that, it was, um, yeah, the Queen's Theatre and it was jazz. I sung in a jazz band twice. Um, I guess just, you know, we, me and my sister, we were pushed. My godmother knew that we wanted to sing. So she pushed and she was into jazz. So that's what we did. Uh, it was really, really scary. Really scary because none of it was rehearsed. Um, and at that age, yeah, you need to sort of really, really think about what you're doing. Um, I didn't, I, you know, I liked it, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, and then after that, I started with punk. So, yeah, quite diverse, I suppose. Well, yeah, and I wanted to um, go back a little because something I read was that you had actually performed a cover of Ella Fitzgerald's Summertime at that Queen's Theatre when you were 11 years old. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't, love that song. Isn't that a song that, that song. was... Wasn't it made very popular by Janis Joplin at one point? Yeah. I, th I yeah. thought that was the song. Yeah, yeah, because my growing up, my mother was a huge Janis Joplin fan. Did you like a lot of Janis Joplin? I've not heard enough to say I'm a fan. Okay. To, if I'm perfectly honest, but yes, I did like what I'd heard back then. Um, but I, as I say, I was mostly into pop music. So. Yeah. No, I, I'm just curious because I had a kind of a personal connection with that song growing up myself, and also I did listen to a fair amount of Madonna being born in 1982 myself as as a child. Um, uh, a little bit later in the in the game, but I know the importance of that. And and you know, before we go on, that is one of my questions. You brought it up uh, in a previous interview I had listened to that Madonna is very important to you as an artist, right? Well, yeah. Um, so didn't have the the nice upbringing that a lot of people have, and I suppose. It was, you know, people can laugh at this, but when you don't have a role model as a child, I think people tend to lean towards music and or actors, actresses and whatever message they're sending out. And for me, um, she always had this message of, you know, if people knock you down, you stand back up again and, you know, you've got to fight for what you want and don't give up the dream. All these I suppose people might call them cliche messages, but it was a message that I needed to hear when I was young. And so in in this strange way, she was like this kind of mother figure to me when growing up because I wanted to sing. 
and I didn't know what I was doing or how to do it and she was sending out all these positive messages and I suppose as you want to call it girl power you know <laughs> and it was a good way for me to it was a good thing for me to cling to and um so yeah I grew up thinking well you know what I know what I want to do I know what I want to be and no one's going to stop me and um yeah she's very important still is not overly keen on the you know the latest stuff if I'm honest but she's still got balls <laughs> Yeah, and, and it's. I, I apologize. I was just going to say, it's not cliche if it has meaning to you. No, no. And um, but it did well. It did well. Her messages did me well. So. I, I got to ask, hearing you describe it like that, I can't help but find a similar energy in your new single with Torn Between Two Worlds, the song All Eyes on Me. Um, would you agree that that's maybe a similar uh, trying trying to put some of that energy out that maybe you got in from an artist like Madonna? Because it seems like a very inspiring song for maybe people who have been through a lot. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know that that's exactly what that song is about. That song is um, about how we let people's negativity beat us down and destroy a dream, um, and that happened to me. Um, I, you know, obviously, as you know, I've been on the scene a really, really long time. No matter how insignificant or how popular or famous people want to class me as, you know, and I, and I, I kind of hate using those words, famous and all of that. I'm just me. I'm just doing what I want to do. But I never. I mean, I'm gonna obviously probably ruin some of your questions because I don't really know what you're going to ask me but I never intended on just being a backing singer yeah that was never the intention I always wanted to be a lead singer um so of all the years I've done this there are a lot of people waiting to just knock you down and if you watched the video that message at the end you know, people, it doesn't matter what job you're doing, doesn't matter what job you're doing or who you are, there is always someone waiting to just tear strips off of you, to belittle you and ruin everything for you. And I strongly believe that comes out of jealousy, also spite. You know, people just want to be nasty for the fun of it. Nothing's changed, you know, 10, 20 years ago. You know, now we've got the internet, people are still there waiting to just make you look stupid. And sometimes the comments, they win. They win. And not just that, you also have people that claim to be your friend or supportive and they're doing completely the opposite behind your back. And I stepped away for a very, very long time. Well, I'd say eight years is definitely a long time. I gave up, I quit, I just couldn't deal with the crap anymore it wasn't any of the nasty comments really um because we all get them and that didn't bother me in fact i find it hilarious i'm now at the point in my life where it really doesn't bother me what people say what nasty stuff they've got to say because we all get it as part and parcel unfortunately but um i kind of got beaten down and i lost faith in myself I'd had enough 
of all the lying, the egos, the attitudes, false promises and everything that comes with, you know, I could go on and on. And I just backed off and I thought, you know, there's got to be more to life. I want to sing, but people are just ruining it. I just, I just had enough. And yeah, I just stepped away. And then people started coming to me going, well, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you touring? Why aren't you recording? And then obviously if you've done a little bit of the research, Lindsay walked away from Cradle of Filth. And Lindsay Schoolcraft had been in contact with me a few times, but I didn't really embrace that. And she knows why. And I, I suppose, you know, I've got no problem really saying it, but I just didn't want anything to do with that side anymore. That's my past. I'm proud of a lot of things, but I just didn't want to be... I didn't want people to know what I was doing in my personal life. So I kind of kept Lindsay at a distance. And it was nothing personal to her. It was just what I wanted to do. But when Lindsay walked away, um, we got in contact with each other and she woke me up. She she was fantastic. She was like, oh God, she'd love me saying this. She was like that Madonna. She had that message for me. She had a lot of messages for me. And she woke me up. And um, yeah, she she made me realize that i wanted to sing again so it's her fault i'm here <laughs> and we're talking <laughs> well thank you to Lindsay. so hopefully hopefully that makes sense hopefully that all makes sense but that's what that song is about it's about being knocked down uh, it's about being you know treated like crap but then suddenly someone wakes you up and they make you realize something and yeah that's what it's about yeah, it seems like it. I found it very uh, inspiring having researched your, your own career myself and just in, not even in that context, but in the context of the last year with the with the pandemic and, and all that's going on. Um, it seemed really nice to have a song that was kind of uh, hopeful uh, while at the same time um, uh, down to earth and serious. You know, it's, it's not like a like a beach party song, but it does have a an air of kind of uh, um, optimism to it. That that's good. Uh, and and I, I just thought it was like very uh, spot on for the time uh, that we're in right now. I, I, th- I thought it was a song that people uh, should check out and should need to hear. That was part of the reason why I reached out to you in the first place. But having said all that that you just said, um, a lot of depth there, uh, a, lot, a lot of weight that you've carried uh, uh, through the years. Um, uh, you know, like you said, I- interactions with people in the music industry, being lied to, taken advantage. Maybe, respectfully, we could start there. You, you did leave off before talking about when you were 16 years old, you performed with a punk band, I believe it was Mad Dog, in support of 999, which is kind of like a legendary British punk band, right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and it again, was it was kind of gross, go right? On. Sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was just gonna say I I heard it was kind of gross, right? Oh well, they yeah. Well, I only did one show with them, and um, the punks were spitting at the stage, and I hated it. Well, obviously, no one likes to be spat at, yeah. but apparently, it was their way of showing appreciation. And I thought, you know what? If spitting at people, showing your appreciation, you can get lost. <laughs> I just did not want to know. I mean, I liked, I liked what I was doing, 
and I didn't want to be spat at. And then I'm like, well, what are they going to do at the next show? Throw poo at you. <laughs> so I was like, nah, not, not my thing, not my thing. Um, so I did one album with Mad Dog, and uh, I was searching for something else. Um, it wasn't really punk, but I wanted to do something else. And as I said, I wanted to just sing. I just wanted to be me. So... Yeah, and I, I, you know, we're going to get into the, the Cradle of Filth um, uh, thing uh, soon, but I, something that kind of occurred to me, you talk about having grown up in the 80s, uh, being a fan of, like, 80s pop music and things like that. Given the turn that your career would take, were you involved or aware of the 80s goth music movement? Well, no, probably not. You can tell me about it. <laughs> I mean, when I started, when I, I mean, you know, because I was young. I mean, bear in mind, I was born in 77. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a very, very strict, sheltered childhood and didn't have much of an introduction to music. It's much, I, I found, found the metal and goth scene and all of that, the punk, all of that on my own. Um, I mean, when I started recording on my own with my friend Barbarella um, yeah I, I'd had a undercut under my hair so it was all bald underneath my hair dyed black crimped I had nose chain um, face was pure white black lipstick all of that and I worshipped Susie and the Banshees ah. um, I remember sitting in McDonald's with my friends trying to be really hard and put a safety pin through my ear. Oh, I want to get this pierced. And I just didn't have the guts to do it. <laughs> and walking around in stripy tights and, you know, I mean, I like, I, I did like the goth scene, but I went more towards black metal and death metal. So, and, and quite quickly, actually. Oh, okay. And from what I understand, a friend had given you Cradle of Filth's demo tape and you didn't um, like the extreme vocals at first. Is that correct? Um, yeah. Yeah. So basically, um, I was working in a video shop and uh, my boyfriend, who had just dumped me, who, funny enough, is my husband now. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've, we've, we've um, I mean, we, we started going out with each other when I was like 15 or 16. And obviously been together a few times on and off dumped each other I dumped him he dumped me I dumped him we eventually got married grew up a little bit but um yeah I was I was at work and I was grieving my love as you do you know when you're a kid and um I had this take with me that a pen pal had had given me um and it was the principle of evil made flesh and i put it in the tape deck and started listening to it and and there's no offence to Danny at all because he is the most phenomenal vocalist he really really is what he can do with his voice is absolutely amazing but at the time I didn't appreciate it and I turned it on and as soon as I heard him sing I took the tape out and I said out loud what a pile of shit (laughs) and I chucked it in the bin I chucked it in the trash beneath me, and and that was it. Didn't I just thought it was awful? I mean, I was into Emperor and Enslaved 
deicide, cannibal corpse, all that type of stuff. Um, I just didn't get Danny's vocals at all. And not long after that, um, I mean, I'm talking literally months, um, I ended up hooking up with a friend and I'd said to her, do you know of any bands that need a singer? And it just so happened to be Cradle of Filth. Um, so yeah, did a little kind of audition for Danny and Paul in a, in a flat or you call it apartment in Manor Park in London. And yeah, got the job. Um, but yeah, couldn't stand his vocals at all. <laughs> Not until we started recording, you know, and we did Dusk and Embrace for the first time and then Vampire. But I was like, wow, he is a phenomenal vocalist, what he can do with his voice. Um, so yeah, definitely wasn't a fan in the beginning. Well, and you say that you were uh, into Deicide and Cannibal Corpse at that point? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, strange, isn't it? But I just, I, I got those vocals. I loved those vocals, but I just didn't quite get what Danny was doing with his voice. Um, so, yeah. That makes me wonder. So much. I'm, I'm sorry, have you ever attempted to do extreme vocals yourself? Yes, I did. <clears throat> I don't know if I've ever answered this question or maybe you've researched it. I used to do brilliant Max Cavalera impressions, <laughs> but I could only get two lines without, you know, and then I'd start coughing. Oh my God, I used to do that like when I was like, well, it was a rise, it was that album. And I used to copy what Max Cavalera was doing, but literally two lines and I'd start coughing. I would have loved to have been able to sing like that man. Oh God, yeah, brilliant singer. Wow. Well, in all fairness, you have better hair, so we all <laughs> we all get we all get some great, great, uh, great reference. So, Sepultura Arise, great album. Um, all right. Well, I had to oh, I had to ask goodness. that, but I mean, you've done enough for metal by way of your um, quote unquote clean vocals, as people like to call them, your um, human singing, uh, and yeah. you, you did plenty of that with Cradle of Filth because it wasn't just kind of like a one off thing. You would stay working with Cradle of Filth. Um, for the better part of, uh, what, about 12, 13 years? Uh, 14, actually. Four, yeah. Like, I guess, say, yeah, 14, about 14 years. Yeah, so, long time, so long time. You joined up with them and began working with them when you were 16 years old, correct? About, about that, yeah, yeah. Give or take a few months. So, yeah, okay. yeah I was young, very young. Very young and respectfully, the, you know, the reason I point that out, too, is because Cradle of Filth has always been a very sexually charged band. Um, and and they've relied on that that kind of energy and, the, and aesthetic um, for a long time. My question being, was it ever uncomfortable, uncomfortable for you being a young lady um, in that environment and, and in that kind of a band? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know what I can say. Um, so, for example, would be on tour and end up in pawn shops, you know? Not nice, not nice. You, you just don't know how to act or how you're supposed to act. And if you you say something about it, you, you're told where to go, basically. You know, if you don't like it, go, you know? Um, You'd have strippers on stage, um, T-shirts with 
you know, breasts and this and that. And as, as you get older, you deal with it and you put up with it. Um, some can say it's art. Some can say it's sleazy. Uh, I suppose it depends how it's done. But in the beginning, when I did my first tour in 1997, yeah, it was very uncomfortable. Didn't like it at all. Um, I remember a certain time in Italy where we were in a pawn shop for the best part of 10 hours and you're expected to just like it or join in with it. No, not nice at all. And especially being that young as well. I mean, I was probably about 21 then. And, you know, let's face it, a lot of people go, well, 21, you're an adult, but you're not, you're not, you're not really grown up, at least until you hit your 30s. Um, yeah, not nice. I remember the feeling it gave me as well. It made me feel physically sick, if I'm honest. And I've never said that to anyone, but it did make me feel physically sick being in that shop. But then the next person could go, well, why didn't you just leave? Because I was young, I was in a country that I didn't know. It was my first ever tour. Um, didn't know anybody properly. Um, and I would have been on my own. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't nice. And, you know, as I say, you know, I could deal with it now because I know exactly what I would do. And, you know, back then again, didn't have mobile phones or anything like that. You know, it's totally different now. But, um, yeah, didn't like it. Didn't like it at all. And were you often the only woman on, like, a tour bus or a tour package situation? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there was any dancers on the first Cradle of Filth tour. I don't think there was. I, or, no, I don't know. Maybe there was. Maybe there was someone. But... Um, most of the time, yeah. Most of the time, I was lucky if there was another woman about. But um, I had done plenty of tours where I was the only female, and um, yeah, it's not always nice, you know. I mean, you, you know, I don't need to really say how it, how it can be. Um, it's we've got this. I don't know if it's the same in the US or anything like that, you know, like where they say children should be seen and not heard. Well, it's a bit like a woman on tour, a woman should be seen and not heard. And that is very much what it was like in the beginning. You had anything to say, you know, um, yeah, you, it wasn't, you weren't dealt with nicely. You weren't, it wasn't, wasn't fair. Um, you definitely felt alone. No, but then I used to hang out with a lot of the fans as well. Um, so if I didn't, if I wasn't within my group, um, I would speak to fans. And in fact, that got me into trouble as well. Um, the amount of times I'd be called a band whore, or or I was sleeping with fans. The simple fact is that um, there was more respect outside of the bus. And again, this isn't aimed um, at one specific band or anything like that it's just back then there was more respect outside of the bus there was more appreciation outside of the bus if that makes sense yeah makes a lot of sense um and uh we appreciate your um candor in talking about it i know it's difficult uh but but the the, the flip side of that is that would you agree that nowadays in terms of the metal scene 
Uh, there's a lot more women involved on the artistic level, or at least a lot more women being seen on the artistic level. Uh, and also, would you would you say that maybe that has led to more uh, competition, and it's not necessarily a more welcoming environment? I still think the sexism's there, one hundred percent. I mean, you you got to bear in mind again, I've been absent for for such a long time, and. Um, I, for example, just got an Instagram account. I'd never had one before because I wasn't active on the scene. Um, and looking around Instagram, it is full of women huh. uh, playing guitar, drums. I mean, the talent, the talent is humongous. It, it's immense. Um, definitely, there are way more women on the scene than when I started. I mean, just to think, I could probably name, if I'm really thinking about it, five women, if that. Uh, was it Karen Crisis? Huh. Um, I can't remember the woman from Bolt Thrower. With, Joe know, no Bench. disrespect, I can't remember her name. Yeah, Joe That's Bench. It. Yeah. Uh, Sar- yeah, Sarkana, I believe her name is, from yeah. Gehenna, uh, black metal band. Um, if you want to cast the Amanda Gallus, um, who else um, that I can think of? Obviously, there are a few more, but like I'm struggling now. There are hundreds, hundreds of women out there, all trying to make a statement and live their dream, you know. Um, and there is still, in my opinion, equally the same amount of people waiting to knock them down. But I don't think that they're going to be so successful this time. Because, um, I don't know, I, I don't know, I, I, I do feel that it is way more accepting, but I also do believe there is still a hell of a lot of sexism still on the scene. Um, I do read the odd comments, the disgusting comments, oh, women shouldn't be in bands, women shouldn't headbang, oh my god, I had that one, <laughs> women shouldn't headbang, you know, yeah. um, but... <sighs> I think women will succeed a lot more than what they did, say, 20 years ago. And good on them. Good on them. I mean, I'm not up to date with all of them, um, but good on them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, well, well first, shout to Karen Crisis, you, you mentioned. She was actually one of our first guests when we started the show um, a while back, a few years ago. If listeners are curious about her story. But um, we have you on the line now. And what you just said, um, just one more question then about about kind of the old days, uh, and we're not going to dwell on you being a female artist and and the the hurdles you've had to overcome for the whole interview. But one last question about that topic: um, what you described going on tour, being uncomfortable in certain situations when you were younger. A lot of people would have gone home. A lot of people would have maybe found another band. What uh, what would you credit? Would it was it Madonna or like what would you credit to? You're staying, sticking with it. Yeah, Madonna. Hmm. Absolutely 100% Madonna. If I'd have given up, I would have um, done myself a huge injustice. And, you know, I look at it and and I could go, right, well, what have I got to show for it? Okay, I've got a whole load of albums, a whole load of guesswork and experiences and memories um, am I rich? No. Do I care? No. 
do I want to be famous? No. Um, I could stop singing tomorrow. Um, but if I do, I want to at least say I'm happy with what I've done. I, I don't care for the fame thing. Um, I don't want to sell a million records. What I do want is for people to hear the music. If there's no money, don't care. I'll happily keep working my part-time job. I'll struggle through. Um, you know, I say we're not rich. Doesn't bother me. What bothers me is um, making good music, and that's debatable. Obviously, some people go, "No, when it's rubbish." Well, okay, that's fine if that's what you think. But you know, for for me and Chris, what we're doing right now. It's about self-satisfaction. And it's always been about self-satisfaction. Every single album that I've done, obviously, it's all in the mix as well. You could do the most amazing vocals in the world and whoever's mixing it could totally ruin it. I think I've been very, very lucky. But everything that's happened, I've battled on, hoping that I will get further and further and, being take, and, and get taken seriously. But truth is never been taken seriously as a backing singer um everything you know for example read show reviews and very very rarely do i get a mention very rarely and i would work my butt off if i could hear myself okay on stage which again was rare but i would work my butt off um in hope that i would get further and i wouldn't just be a backing singer you know, everything I've just said, it's never, it's not gone the way I wanted it to go. And that was because I let people beat me down. But I always had this thing in my head going, don't give up. Even though I have given up at times, don't give up. Because the only one that would suffer would be me. Um, but my views have changed a lot. Years ago, it used to be, yeah, I wanted to be on the stage and I, I wanted people to hear what I was doing. And now I kind of feel, well, you know, again, I'm 44. Um, my son is my priority. Um, music is still very, very important to me, thanks to Lindsay popping up. Um, made me realise, as I said. But, um, yeah, uh, I battle on and it's not as important if people accept me now. I suppose what's the most important thing for, thing for me now is that I'm happy with what I do. Back then, I think it was about acceptance. Now it's about, well, whoever listens, listens. I hope they like it. If they don't, then there's nothing I can do about that. Does that make sense? It makes a whole lot of sense. Um, and it's something that hopefully makes sense to some of our younger listeners trying to figure things out, too, because you speak with a wealth of experience. Um, with all the things you've been through. And when you say Chris, you're talking about Christian. Is it Christian Wren or Rain? Yeah, uh, well, I suppose, I don't know if he was born Christian Wren, but yeah, Chris, Chris Wren, yeah. Yeah, and that's, um, he was formerly in a number of acts, including Evergrey, um, and was in Anctoria with you, and now is the, um, the, like, the main composer, musician in Torn Between Two Worlds with you, right? Yeah, so he started off with Abyssos, which was um, a Swedish black metal band. Um, and I know he had another band as well. And then he, I met him when he was in Evergrey, uh, when I was in Therion. Um, then we formed Angtoria together. 
Um, and then he joined Takeda. Takeda are a, a Swedish rock band and they're absolutely massive. They're, I think, if I'm correct, they are the biggest selling band out of any band and act in Sweden. Wow. They're massive. Um, so that's what he's been doing as well as he owns a recording studio. Um, but yeah, he... He was the main composer. He did 99% of Angtoria, as in the music. Um, and he is the main composer for Torn Between Two Worlds because he is so extremely talented. So talented. So he deserves probably more credit than I could ever take. You know, he's, he's a genius in my eyes. Uh, and... Um uh, you released, if I got it correct, uh, the Across Angry Skies EP in 2004, and then 2006 on Listenable Records, God Has a Plan for Us All, the, kind, the album that's kind of developed a cult following in the, uh, I guess you could say, yeah. go gothic doom metal type of scene, right? Oh, I don't know what scene. You we, know, people say to me... Labels. What, what are you? What what are you? What, what style is your music? I haven't got a clue. I haven't got a clue. I remember someone here in Antoria and someone saying uh, it sounded like in flames. Mm. I'm like, what? Where did that come from? <laughs> you know, everyone's got their perception of what something sounds like. But yeah, um, we did that five track demo. Um, most of that stuff actually has been released either... Um, yeah, actually, on my solo albums, apart from one song, uh, and that is the song Torn Between Two Worlds. So when me and Chris were deciding what we were going to call this project, I said, well, let's call it Torn Between Two Worlds because it's the only track that never got released on that demo. And um, one day we will hopefully re-record that, but it leads us back to the beginning of the Antoria journey. Um so, yeah, watch this space because I think we're going to re-record that. And actually, Aaron from My Dying Bride was on that track as well. Huh. So, who I've worked with a few times because I love his voice. Yeah, um, yeah, and, you know, before uh, we get full on into Angtoria and Torn Between Two Worlds, you did bring up some of the session work you've done. And I wouldn't want to leave it out um, to, to just mention briefly, in 98, I believe, that was the first time you began working with Therion, right? On the Vovin album? Yeah, maybe. Oh my God, it's so long ago. <laughs> I was just going to ask so, if you so could take us through a little bit of um, just, just meeting uh, uh, Therion and, and coming to work with that group. Well, it actually... Um, so I've done... Um, first tour with Cradle of Filth in 1997 and this will probably answer a bunch of things actually huh. so on that tour the rape and ruin of Europe uh, there was a six day festival which was um, Dissection, Dimu Borgia and In Flames and we all played they joined this rape and ruin of Europe tour um, and we, yeah, we did the six shows. So that's how I met a lot of people. Um, so during that that show, uh, the six-day show, um, Nagash from Dimu Borgia came up to me and he was like, you're Sarah? I said, yeah. He said, do you want to work with us, The Covenant? 
well, they were called Covenant at the time. And I went, yeah, absolutely. He told me all about it. And so that's how the Covenant thing started. And then after the Rape and Ruin of Europe tour, I went to Sweden because I'd met someone on that tour. Um, and I stayed with her at her shop, at Heathen Dune Records, where she introduced me to Christopher of Therion, um, and she also introduced me to Mortis. Um, so it was 1997 was a really, really big year for me because not only had I started touring with Cradle of Filth, but I'd also become part of Covenant. I'd also started working with Mortis and I started working with Therion. So, um, yeah, very big year because it opened many, many doors for me. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like like looking back, you, you're obviously very prolific, especially in that time period. So it really was um, the, the kind of networking process at that festival and on that tour that got you all that work. Yeah, well, well, I met my friend Petra actually in Stockholm um, outside of that six-day festival. But because I was always friendly and talking to people, which, as I said, got me into trouble, <laughs> um, you know, a bit of name-calling just because I was talking to people and being nice and friendly. Um, but because I networked, and well, I don't want to say the word network, I was just me. I yeah. would talk to anybody and have a drink with anybody and, you know, I didn't know what having an ego was. Um, I didn't think I was better than anybody else just because I was in a band. So it was um, very common for me to just walk about, sit down and talk to people. Um, so, yeah, I met a lot of people. I'm very lucky as well. And those people helped me. I had a lot of help. So, yeah, I'm really lucky. Uh, can you tell me uh, briefly about meeting... Uh, Mortis uh, or Mortis. I, I'm not. I don't want to pronounce it wrong because I remember being a teenager, being very new to extreme metal and the underground scene in the in the late '90s. And we were all, even if we didn't enjoy Emperor or Mortis that much, we were very fascinated. Uh, and there was, you know, letting there wasn't internet as much back then. We were all under the impression that this guy had actually gotten reconstructive surgery to look exactly like that, and and all these rumors and things. Maybe if you could just tell us a little bit about meeting that artist and and coming into work with him right so um i'm trying to remember it's really difficult remembering this far back but basically i was with my friend petra staying at her record store even doing records i don't think they exist anymore in stockholm and um she phoned him up and i had a conversation with him and we just got talking and the original thing that I had in my head was he had, um, I believe it was Dark Dungeon Music or Dark, something like that. Um, and I wanted him to sign me as an artist. Um, although I didn't have any music at the time, I wanted to get a foot in the door. I wanted to do, as I said, I never wanted to just be a backing singer. I wanted to be a front woman. So we just got talking and... I can't remember how it happened, but the phone call took a very strange turn of where it ended up me working with him. And obviously I jumped at the chance. Um, 
I don't think I met him then because he was possibly living in Malmo in Sweden. But obviously we stayed in touch and the first time I think we met was, if I'm right, when we did uh, the Stargate. Um, so I went to Sweden and I recorded the Stargate with him. Um, it is possible though I'd met him in Oslo prior to that because uh, my first trip outside of all the band work was Oslo and um, I was staying with um, some girls, some friends and um, hanging out with Dimu because I'd obviously met them on that tour mm-hmm. and I, it's possible that I met Mortis in Oslo as well. Got on really well, got on really well. Very handsome guy, very funny, very ambitious. Um, been judged, I think, um, most of his career. Um, but he's got balls again. He's got ambition. He's got drive. He knows what he wants, and he's never let anybody beat him down, which is fantastic. You know, he's doing something very, very unique that most people probably won't understand. But he's got a massive fan base, and I love that about him. He's a lion, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> that well, might sound stupid, but no, he is, no. he's a lion. He I, knows I, what he wants and how to get it. I love it. Um, and and you know, you talk about his music nowadays. <clears throat> again, again, with I don't like labeling genres of music. It's something that we kind of it's like a necessary evil doing these type of uh, uh, shows. Um, but what he does has been come to be referred to by a lot of people as dungeon synth over the years not that we want to box him in at all but at the time when he was coming out with that people knew him from emperor and i think it was very unexpected and it was still a very new style to be associated with extreme metal what was your impression when you first kind of heard and saw what he was getting into oh i don't know um i don't really even know how to answer that if i'm honest um I knew that he'd come from Emperor, um, but I didn't really associate him with Emperor. I just, I just listened to his music and knew that it was something that I wanted to do. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but we're actually working together right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm doing. I don't. I don't know if this is a Mortis album. Or it's another one of his projects, but um, he's writing music now, and I've almost finished my vocals to one of his songs. Um, in fact, I was supposed to do it today. I was supposed to finish the song today, but I started working on the third track of "Torn Between Two Worlds." Mm. Um, but yeah, he and and this new stuff that he's doing is that same kind of thing. Um, I mean, I can't say too much because that's up to him, but we are, let's say, back together, <laughs> as it were. Oh, Don't oh. know how long for, but I like working with him because he's got good vision, you know? Yeah. I'd like I'd like to see him back in Emperor permanently, of course, but, you know, obviously they're doing that live stream, aren't they? And yeah. I'm very, very jealous. I mean, I've said to him, can't I just come along <laughs> and sit there and serve you all tea? <laughs> and cheese sandwiches halfway through but no one's finding me funny right now <laughs> well i i am don't worry but um <laughs> uh well did i get this wrong maybe this is uh, um uh skewed information i got are you to be touring 
performing with Mortis in support of Mayhem uh, coming up, or is that something that that took place in the past? Oh no, no, that's going to happen. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah. when tours are back on, um, yeah. So uh, he's supporting Mayhem, and so basically the story goes: he got in contact with me a few years ago. Um, he asked um, if I wanted to um, do stuff with him again, and I went, "Yep." And I was at the point where I wasn't sure whether I wanted to do music again. As you know, music still left a bitter taste in my mouth. Well, some people did anyway. Um, so I was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. And then, and I've, I've said this to Mortis as well. So he made this comment um, about playing. I think it was a festival and he said, you never know, the plane might crash. As soon as he said that, I hit delete on every possible way of him contacting me. I blocked him. I blocked him on Facebook, on WhatsApp, on everything because it was like, oh my God, I could die and I've got my son and it scared the absolute crap out of me. Mm. So I just stopped replying to him, um, which is, I know, not a very, very nice thing to do, but he really scared me. Anyway, my brother-in-law turned around to me about a year later and he's like, well, I think that's out of order that you did that you should have at least explained to him. And I started thinking, oh, yeah, maybe. So I got in contact with Mortis and I said, look, I'm really, really sorry. You scared the crap out of me once you mentioned the plane crashing. And I don't want to be away from my son. And, you know, I don't like the idea of being away from him at all. And he's like, it's fine. I said, I completely understand because Mortis has a few children as well. And he said, how about you do a few shows on the uh, English part of the tour and see how you feel about being away from your son. And I said, okay. And I thought it was brilliant that he'd actually, he was so cool with me. But I thought it was brilliant that he'd forgiven me. Not that there probably was anything to forgive, but he was so good and understanding. So that's the score, basically. Uh, the last album that he brought out, the newest one, should I say, I'm going to be putting vocals to some of the songs and then likely just doing all the English shows, which is good. And I have to admit, I cannot wait. And I don't want to go on stage again, or it will take a lot for me to get on stage again. But I'm actually looking forward to doing this. And there's a few other reasons as well, not just seeing Mortis again, for such a long time, but also seeing uh, Hellhammer and also seeing Charles, who, if I, I don't know if he keeps this a secret, I really hope he doesn't, but Charles, who's ghoul, used to be in Cradle of Filth and he was a good friend of mine. Um, me and Charles were really, really close and things got in the way. Um, the band environment got in the way and we drifted and drifted and drifted and I hadn't spoken to Charles for about nine, ten years until I found out I was doing the Mortis tour with Mayhem and I thought, right, I need to speak to him and let him know I'm doing the tour and, and yeah, me and Charles are back to normal now. We, we, we talk a lot and um, he's helped me, he advises me 
you know, it's good. So it'll be good to see these people. It'll be really good to see these people. But the thought of being on a tour bus, if I'm honest, doesn't really appeal. Because if you've ever been on a tour bus and used a tour bus toilet, it is the dirtiest thing you will ever come across. It's nasty. <laughs> well, <laughs> none of my fledgling death metal bands have ever made it to a tour bus. We, we shared nine guys in a little, uh, you know, um, cargo van across the uh, the United States several times. But I can imagine. I can imagine. It's, uh, it's oh, not fun. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. <laughs> You're definitely going to need face masks if you go into a tour bus toilet. I can tell you that. Oof. Well, we've been practicing for the last year with the face masks. Um, yeah. And, and your friend Charles is listed on Metal Archives. Uh, in Cradle, so you didn't spill any beans. It's out there on the internet about about him being in Cradle. Oh, stuff. they do that. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Well, I, I, I'm so glad. He's he's such a talented guitarist, um, if I can say. I think he was wasted. I think mm. now in, in Mayhem, hopefully he's definitely happy you know and he gets the credit that is deserved because he's so talented yeah mayhem um really a great band that gets kind of reinvigorated uh through different eras with um with some new blood but um uh you know i i i I don't want to uh i want to be respectful of your time like we said so i just want to get into uh, we talked a little bit about um, your work with uh, Christian and uh, Angtoria and uh, how that band, you released the God Has a Plan for Us All album in 06 on Listenable. Now, that album title, it's uh, fairly sarcastic. Is that correct? Yeah. Be- yeah, well, 100%. Because someone might see that and think that you're a Christian metal band. Uh, you know, oh, to, yeah, to, I know. To, to be honest. Yeah, well, has, has that happened? Did, did, was that an issue when that came out? Um, I've not read anything about people thinking that we are. Um, I do, the only negative thing I remember was that a girl reviewed the album and she completely put the album down because she expected it to be like Cradle of Filth because obviously Uh. I was part of the band. And I do know that they told her to take the inter- uh, the review down and it was rewritten by somebody else. That was the only negative thing that I know of and that, ca- that I can remember to do with that album. The album done so, so well and it's still, it is still a major thing for fans. I don't know how we did it. I guess it was me wanting to be this front woman and I had so much to say and sing about and write about um that album was a long time coming and me and Chris just fit together like a hand and a glove if I'm honest we work so so well um but even to this day I get so many comments about the album about how it changed people's lives how it saved people and i find it so strange hearing it because if you see me now i'm just me i'm sitting in my front room my cat grill she's licking her butt in front of me you know um i'm just i'm thinking oh my god i want a cup of tea (laughs) i'm just normal i'm just me and people uh, i i hate even saying this but i'm gonna say it but a lot of people lately have used the word legacy 
and legend, it makes me cringe. <laughs> but I suppose there's this part of me that has to accept I've done some good somewhere along the line where I've helped people and I've inspired people. And just moving away from the Antoria album, that's why when we did All Eyes On Me, I left that message at the end. And that's why I also put at the very end, and that's what the wise lady said. Because that leads you back to the Antoria album. And that was one of the songs that was really big for people. Because it was saying, you can be whatever you want to be. And again, might sound cheesy to some, but it's true. It is absolutely true. You know, if you believe in yourself, or even if you don't believe in yourself, you find just one person to believe in you. You can you can be anything you want to be. And so it all links back to each other. Uh, so everything leads back to, you know, one release leads to one. And, you know, um, I don't think there was anything negative said, but there probably was. But I think we've I think we've got like many albums of the month and this and that and unfortunately we only did one album and I hold my hands up and say but I'm probably the reason for that. Um I think being a front woman scared me, which is very contradictory to what I've said. I always wanted to be a front woman and never just a backing singer. But when the album did that well I think it might have scared me. And because I was so used to being a backing singer, I decided to put Cradle of Feel first. And I was more comfortable in the background than at the front. And that might sound so strange to hear. So the reason that there wasn't another Antoria album, because I put Cradle of Feel first. Um, and Chris and Tommy, they had families and they had to build a life for themselves and their family. And we didn't go separate ways, but our paths went different directions. Chris built his studio, for example. Me and I just favoured Cradle of Filth and Therion and Mortis as well. But I just, um, I think it scared me being in the front. Uh, it probably still scares me now, if I'm honest. I've done the whole solo thing. Um, it didn't go as planned. Um, was I comfortable on the front of the stage? Probably not, because I'd spent so many years doing oohs and ahs for other people, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and those kind of contradictions, I think, you know, we all we all maybe want to be somewhere in life, but sometimes when you get there, um, you, you know, it's not everything you thought it would be or it's not as comfortable as you, as you thought it would be. It's, it's very understandable. It's part of life. And, you know, you mentioned your solo material, um, the albums A Sign of Sublime uh, and The Corruption of Mercy, as well as the Malediction EP. I know A Sign of Sublime from 2010. Um, from, from what I gather, your longtime producer, Dan Abella, tried to do as much as he could with that. But there was a lot in the recording of the instrumentals that um, you, you found not satisfactory. Oh, well, you know, as I put it, you can't polish a turd. And <laughs> when people come to me and they say the album is amazing, I'm like, are you sure you're listening to the right album? You know, what saved that was, um, I mean, I haven't got the album in front of me, but I think one or two tracks from 
um, the demo that me and Chris did in 2004 are on there. So there's a few songs that saved the album and a sign of Sublime um, I was really happy with. The rest of the stuff, the rock, you know, the metal stuff, it came out so bad that I'm so surprised that people still listen to it. And they do. They come to me and they go, oh, the road to nowhere and this and that. I don't even know half the titles on that album because I've tried to kind of distance myself from it. And basically, I took a chance. Um, the first solo album should have been amazing and it wasn't. Um, but I took a chance. I trusted. The album got over-edited. And if anybody knows anything about music, you over-edit something. You can't do anything with it. Um, the album was screwed. Um, as I said, there was a few songs on there that saved it, um, but for the best part, it, it was awful. And I was working with a guy, a guy called Ken, who took a chance on me. And the record company classed him as session and treated him as session. And when you're a session musician, you get treated like crap. And I know that from many, many experiences. You're a nobody. And... I think it was Ken's dream also to be known and to be a brilliant musician and they ruined it. And who do you think got the blame? The one person, me, you know? So I don't see, I haven't heard from Ken for years and it's a shame because he put a lot of work into that album, but I didn't control the way it was um, edited and all the engineering that went on in the studio. Um, <sighs> just a bad experience really but yeah my mate Dan he wasn't my friend at the time didn't know him he stepped in he tried to save the album he did what he could do and then me and Dan we had a brilliant partnership um and he's still one of my best friends um we started writing um the corruption of mercy um and we we loved it so many people were involved and I still think it's a brilliant album. There's not one track on there that we go, mm, that could have been better. We are happy. We are proud. Even if no one else is, we are proud of it. And then we did Melediction. Um, and again, you know, did a track with Danny, did a track with Bjorn. Um, loved the EP, but we suffered with illegal downloads. Um, I think our bass player, Ablaz, um, when we did The Corruption of Mercy, he checked out the illegal downloads. Uh, he's very savvy with a computer. I just know how to turn it on and off. He knows what to search for. And it had done something stupid, like over 80,000 something illegal downloads. He didn't stand a chance. You know, the physical sales, I think at the time we were about a thousand. You know, it's life. Yeah, yeah. What can you do? The, you know? the entire model for the record industry is completely flipped. Um, and especially for metal artists where there's maybe not as much uh, money to begin with. Uh, and that that was a time period where we were still kind of adjusting to that change too. You know, it was like shortly after Napster and Metallica and that whole thing. So I, yeah, that's that's a lot. And um, bands weren't bands weren't fully in on how to like you know like nowadays a lot of bands will make make up that money or try to make up that money with merchandise and T-shirt sales and yeah. things. But it was yeah. kind of like the the model wasn't made at that point. Um, and well, 
From Got- what I understand, you can blame streaming for that. Yeah. You know, the yeah. way the music industry has changed, streaming has damaged so much. You know, I mean, we've made a little bit of money on these last two songs. And you know why? Bandcamp. Yeah, Bandcamp Band is great. Camp, it's great. You know, everything else, what is Spotify? Something like 0.001 pence or cents, if you want to put it like that, per stream, you know. You have to do something like a hundred thousand streams to make something like a hundred dollars. That's if I'm even close to it. I mean, I'm probably being too generous. Streaming is really not good, um, and I've learned that. But Bandcamp uh, has been brilliant for us. Um, when I say brilliant, we haven't like bought new houses, <laughs> but will it fill up? Will it fill up a tank of petrol for the car? Yeah. yeah. We've seen more from Bandcamp than anything else from anywhere else. Um, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. So do we want a record company? Uh, Chris is saying no. I'm saying hmm, maybe, you know. But then we've got a brilliant PR company um, in America who stepped up, they were friends of Lindsay's, or sorry, they are friends of Lindsay's, and they stepped up and were like, we want to help you. And they're helping us, and that's how you have this interview. They've done so much for us, and uh, they've not expected anything back. It's, It's amazing. In fact, it's people like you, people like Lindsay, people like Curtis and Corinne, and all these people that have just come up and like, hey, do you know what? We support you. If we'd have had that 20 years ago, I probably would be that front woman, you know, selling 100,000 records. But, you know, better late than never. And I'm grateful, you know, really, really grateful for the stage that we're at. We only released that first single back in December. And people are starting to listen and that's all we want so do we need a record company probably not you know people will find us eventually so uh, absolutely i appreciate that sentiment and and the listeners know you're already getting me um uh you're pushing my buttons with the spotify talk i'm the type of person where i like to collect uh vinyl or or, or cassettes even sometimes i'm really not uh, an up-to-date technological person and Bandcamp is kind of like the good witch Versus Spotify being the evil witch of that streaming domain, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as I said, I mean, I've had... Don't, as I say, don't get me wrong. We've not had, like, um, thousands of people buy our songs. But we've had, in the few months that these songs have been up, we've had one donator donated um, £145 wow. for all lies on me and it was like and I emailed him are you sure you want to do that (laughs) yes 100% because we believe in you we support you and we're glad you're back and that's all I've been hearing Um, I don't even know if I was you know when someone says to me I'm glad you're back I don't even think I was there Um, (laughs) I consider and and you're not going to like this what I'm going to say um, and it's not, oh, look at me, I'm down on myself. And I've said it to many people, 
I'm a has-been. I had my time and it wasn't overly successful. It wasn't, it didn't take me where I wanted to be, but I still have my time. And I'm a nobody now. And I'm absolutely happy with that. Um, I'm never going to be um, on that. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to be on that stage fronting the band. It, I think I'm past all that now. I am very happy having these calls, having these questions, and having your time. And if it means that another 10 people listen to All Eyes On Me, or The Beauty Of Deception, or anything I've done, like the Antoria album, or anything else, if it, if it gains another 10 fans, do you know what, that's success to me. It's not about the money, it's about people listening and talking and understanding what we're trying to do if that makes sense i do have this tendency to talk and forget about what i said a minute ago <laughs> so if i start talking about trees and chihuahuas you know i've got lost in the conversation <laughs> but that is genuinely what we're about you know me and chris both said as long as we're happy what other people think is second and it is it is you, you you're with us or you're not and if you're not that's fantastic but at least give us a try you know we're not the heaviest metal band no um but we do think we've got something to give um i don't know what that is yet but um hopefully you can see some good in us well i'm gonna shut up now <laughs> no no well i i do want to stop you because there's a lot there and i don't think i've ever disagreed and agreed with a statement at the same time because you said a lot that i liked uh, I'm going to respectfully disagree with your characterization of yourself as a nobody and a has-been, but you're welcome to your opinion. Um, but uh, as a listener, when you say what you have to give, what I what, one question I don't want to forget here, you've released the two singles for Torn Between Two Worlds. Is there any plans for a physical format being released or for more songs in the form of an EP or an album? Um, yes and yes, possibly. So today I did 80% of my vocals for song number three. Um, and there's talk of... Curtis wants us to do some crowdfunding, um, which me and Chris, when you say crowdfunding to us, again, it makes us go, oh my God, no. Because people abuse the crowdfunding and we don't want to be put in that category but we have agreed that if we do crowdfunding um because we don't have the money to do this ourselves, um and we want to keep the rights to our music so we've got a choice we go and find a, a record company and then lose all the rights to everything that we wrote not um, not necessarily you know, and not necessarily not ne i just want to add that in not well, necessarily well, we can have that conversation because if you can convince me otherwise, you know, but because Chris, he, as, as I said, you know, he's got this recording studio and he works for two of the biggest record companies in, in the world. That's the problem. And he sees how things go and his views are probably very different to yours and mine. But, I mean, you know, I would love to be with Listenable again. And I still speak to Lauren at Listenable. And he's one of the best people that I know. 
out of a record company. He's amazing. He's always supported me, no matter how far. And he'll always tell me how it is, uh, you know. Um, so would I like to be with Listen Ball again? Yes. Would I like to be with anyone else? I'm not too sure because my back is up, you know. With, yeah. You know, I try to upload something for the fans and I get a message, you don't own this. And it's a bit of a slap oh, in the face. Yeah, that sucks. So I don't know where we're going to go with it, but if we do the crowdfunding thing, which again, we don't want to do, but we understand why people do it. We will only do it once. And Chris has told me not to say it. So I'm going to just say there potentially could be an EP. And if it happens and crowdfunding is successful because we don't want to take the... Uh, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this word. I have sworn before and I apologise. You can always bleep me out. We don't want to take the piss out of fans. You know, we we want them to get something from this and they want a physical release. We've, we've listened to people. People keep saying it. They want a physical release. So there could potentially be an EP... And if it happens, it would likely be vinyl and CD. Oh, yeah. I, I want it that's on vinyl. All I, that's, all I can, <laughs> that's all I can say. Um, okay. Because one step at a time, really. It seems that people like what we're doing. Um, and that's amazing right there. Because we, we weren't sure whether people would be listening to us but it seems that the response has been absolutely amazing um there's only so much you can do when you're not signed so but let's see let's see what happens well yeah and nowadays there are more options when you're when you're not signed and there's tasteful ways to crowdfund and distasteful ways to, to crowdfund and all I was implying before not to discredit you and Chris's years of experience in the music industry and experience with record labels all I was implying is that there are a lot of underground metal labels that you might not have the most uh, financially um, uh, uh, fruitful relationship with but that that will, will press and license your stuff for you and give you a fair deal and you don't have to necessarily sacrifice all your rights um, and I say that as a fan who's desperate to have Tormy Tweet mm. on vinyl. <laughs> oh no! And by the way, I didn't think you mean any. You meant anything? Yeah. Um, definitely not. No. I mean, everyone's opinion matters. Um, and you know, you could say something to me that I might not agree with, and then put the phone down, and I'll be like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, what he was right." <laughs> um, I think we want it to be as easy as possible and less stress as possible and for it to not feel like um, we're in the music business but we're actually making music and I don't know if that makes sense we want to enjoy what we're doing without it getting complicated um, so as long as we enjoy it and people know we're enjoying it because if you're not enjoying music it, it, it shines in your music people know you don't want to be doing it um, we'll just see what happens because we could do a third song and it could fall flat on its face and everyone hate it. All I know is right now people are attentive. They're listening and they're waiting. We don't want to lose that. And as I say, if we do the crowdfunding, we want to make sure it's minimum cost 
it's not where we say, right, we're going to do $5,000 and then we get up to $10,000 and then the $5,000 that's left, we go out and get drunk. You know, we don't want to... We don't want to take advantage of anybody. Mm. We only want to crowdfund the necessary costs and see how it goes, you know. Fair, fair enough, and that's respectable. And uh, speaking of respect, we want to be respectful of your time. I have one last question before we ask you to close out. And um, I'm surprised you guys are still awake, actually. <laughs> well, I bet half of you are listening. If anyone listens, they're going to be like, oh, my God. God, she and half talks. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've we've gone longer than this, and with more boring with people that are boring compared to you. Um, no, we're not going to mention names, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. But one thing I wanted to bring up, especially for listeners, because we're more of a brutal death metal and grindcore program a lot of the time, so some listeners might not be familiar with your catalog. And um, you can find on YouTube or whatever platform you've done a lot of cover or several covers. Angtoria covered the Kylie Minogue song "Confide in Me." Um, which was kind of which a, went down really, really well. Went down really well. That did. Yes, I mean it really translated well into a kind of haunting uh, atmospheric metal song. Mm-hmm. And um, as Are did you- your cover of "Zombie" by the Cranberries on your "Corruption of Mercy" um, album. And you also which a lot of people didn't like. Ah, uh, I played it. I played it for some people at my job who weren't even metalheads. They liked it. So there's that. Oh, uh, <laughs> and what I'm getting at, too, just finally, you also covered by Dead Can Dance on a Dead Can Dance tribute album, the song The Wind That Shakes the Barley. Um, which, yeah. Now, uh, the reason I bring all this up is because I want to expose that for the listeners if they're interested. It's definitely worth a listen. But are there any plans, are there any thoughts, ambitions to maybe do a covers album like many vocalists do? I think you really got to do it well. You know, I mean, you can do a cover. I think the Confide in Me cover came out really, really well. Bitch, I don't know because of what happened in the studio. Um, That song, I would have loved to have been a lot heavier, a lot rockier. I don't think, I think that failed. I think Frozen by Madonna, I think that worked. I'm really proud of that. Um, The Wind That Shaped the Barley. um, That was the first thing I think, if I remember, I did on my own properly, where I didn't have to rely on a band behind me for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, What other cover? Zombie. Um, I like Zombie. Um, I'm happy with Zombie. I think maybe it could have been a little bit better. Um, I don't know. But I think when you do covers, um, they've got to be really, really different or exactly the same and perfect. I want to cover Wood by Alison Chains. I really, really want to do that. And um, I want to do Oh Father by Madonna. It's a very powerful song and it means a lot to me for many reasons um again i'd love to do a covers album but i don't think and you're gonna disagree maybe i don't think i have enough talent to get it right um, oh, come I'm a get out of here. i talk no 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 it's how i feel it's how i feel and, and i'm not offended by it huh. i don't 
I don't want to be better. I just want to be me. Okay. You know, I okay. I learned. I taught myself to sing. Um, I taught myself to sing. I I I did have um, some singing lessons um, for a while, but there weren't so much singing lessons. It was teaching me how to warm up and how to look after my voice, which I then totally disregarded. Went on tour. Used to drink and smoke and do all of that. You know. I've never looked after my voice. Uh, or whatever comes out, it comes out. I hope that it comes out all right, and I hope for the best. You know, I think there are way better singers out there who could nail a brilliant covers album. I don't think that's me. Um, I think I've got. The, I think I've got the ideas. I definitely got the ideas. Of what I would like to do and how I would do it, but um, I think there's better people out there to do a covers album, um, and that that's just how I feel, and I'm I'm cool okay. with that. I'm cool with that. You as, know. Okay, as long as you keep doing touring between two worlds, I'll, I'm cool with that. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, me and Chris have talked about doing Christian Woman wow. uh, by a Typo Negative. We have talked about that, and I know loads of people have done it, but there's a reason for that for me as well. You know, when I toured with Typo Negative, um, Peter tried dragging me on stage to do Christian Woman, mm. and I crapped myself, huh. and I ran a mile. And uh, he was like, oh, I'm really sorry, I didn't want to embarrass you. I said, no, you didn't embarrass me, I just don't think I could have done it. And um, it was a brilliant tour, and there were brilliant people, and Bloody Kisses is very dear to me as well. Yeah. Um, and the whole experience of touring with Typo is very dear to me. And um, as it is with many people that have toured with them, but I really want to do Christian Woman one day. And if we do it, it has to be bloody perfect because there'll be people waiting to tear strips off of us. You know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's a, it's a lofty ambition. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I did uh, read that you toured with Typo. I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot to ask you about touring with Typo Negative. And one one last thing. Oh, I'm sorry, Sarah. But one last question. No, you, you take your time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Anyone there's a lot there. Break. <laughs> On that, uh, it was, I believe, the, the Rape and Rune of Europe tour that you went into detail about very early on, early on in your career. You mentioned Dissection. I'm a big fan. Did you respectfully? Did you get to meet and know John uh, Notevate? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, oh god, right, I'm just trying to remember. So, obviously, we toured, and I got on well with them. Um, I stayed with Johan actually, and his uh, girlfriend. But I just I don't remember timelines or anything like that. And when you're doing an interview, you try to remember stuff, but then you end up backtracking and all of that. But yeah. we did. Um, so I stayed with them um, for I can't remember why I was with them, but I stayed with them. Uh, I do remember that I did after that tour. Um, we did with Therion. I was with Therion. We did a festival weekend, and one of them was Wacken in Germany, um, and we shared. I believe we shared the bus with... I uh, really can't remember. Shared the bus with Dissection. Yeah, because Dimmu, Borgia and Inflames were on one bus and Therion and Dissection were on the other bus. That was it. So, um, and Emil, uh, Yun's brother, um, who's, as you're probably aware, was in Swordmaster and Death Stars now. Mm -hmm. 
so he was playing um, for dissection that weekend as well. And it was a very, very memorable weekend. Very memorable. So obviously, if you're on my Instagram page, or if you've seen it, you see I posted pictures from that weekend of the guys in the sauna and the hot tub. <laughs> but um, me and me and Yun, um, he was a good person. Um, like a lot of people might have something to say about that comment, but he was good with me. Um, we got on well. Um, I wrote to him when he was in prison um, a few times, and I stupidly, I've, I've lost the letters or I've chucked them away, and I, I don't know why I would have done that, but you're young. Um, but that weekend, uh, yeah, me and Yun went off and got absolutely smashed. Oh, the, the amount we drunk. <laughs> and he looked after me, you know. I was off my face. I mean, obviously young, stupid, you know. Well, I say stupid. I was soprano for Therion, and I was so drunk, so drunk. And he looked out for me. Um, he made sure I was all right. And uh, the memories I've got of him are good. Um, and I'm glad I've got those memories. Um, regardless, I'm, I'm glad I've got those memories. Um I didn't see him or talk to him after he got out of prison um, because I'd lost the contact then. So, you know, but yeah, good experience, good experience, good memories, memories I will hold dear for the rest of my life. I mean, a lot of the memories I've got of people, you know, um, there's some very, very good memories that I'm very grateful for. So I'm, as I say, I'm lucky. I'm very, very lucky. But that luck is because I've tolerated so much. If I had walked away, like you said in the beginning, if I'd have walked away, I wouldn't have got as far as I did and I wouldn't have done as much as I did. But I thought it was the right thing to do, get treated like crap, and then eventually you get what you want. Well, I haven't actually got what I want, but I've got the memories and that's good enough for me. So if that makes sense. It makes a whole lot of sense, um, and we appreciate you sharing that. Uh, rest in peace to him and respect to uh, him and all his people. We ask those kind of questions respectfully, and um, being respectful of your time also, we always close out by asking the guest to recommend one older piece of music, an older album, or uh, an, a newer uh, album by any artist you like, just to recommend two things to us and the listeners that you enjoy. Oh, my God, you're going to have to edit this out. Because I, I can't remember the name of the album. Well, that's why we it's don't do it live. Car. That's why we don't do it live. We can edit. Yeah, the new and oceans, or newer. What is it called? Mother of balls. <laughs> oh, it's in the car and it's on constant. But anyway, the new and oceans. Put it like that, and then an older one, uh, in the nightside eclipse by Emperor. Wow, which okay. is my all-time favorite black metal album ever uh, ever <laughs> cosmic world mother and new end oceans oh cosmic world mother that's the new end oceans album that's the one that's the one my god that sounds so bad they're like how, how could she like it if she can't remember well i'm a mum. i work <laughs> so much going on i don't remember anything in fact someone asked me my son's date of birth the other day and i'd forgotten and then someone asked, it's, it's my 10th wedding anniversary in July. 
and I sat there with my sister and brother-in-law and they're like when is it and I'm like oh my god I really don't remember so I called my husband in and I said open up your phone and let me know what day our wedding anniversary is I said I don't need to know the date I just want to know the day and then he was looking through the calendar and he went you've forgotten our wedding anniversary haven't you he's like I've worked it out and yeah I've got a very bad memory but yeah <laughs> the new new Andations and all time favourite classic best metal album ever in my opinion in the Nightside Eclipse by Emperor wow well there's probably people who share that opinion that's that's uh, uh, two two good recommendations thank you um and uh, Sarah Jezebel Diva, we thank you so much for your time uh, and your candor, for keeping it real with us and sharing your story today. Um, it was really great. And, and uh, just um, we always close out by asking you to recommend music. And also, I always say to the artist, uh, any last words for fans of your music and listener, listeners of our show? For you, I'm going to say um, uh, any, any wise words from the wise lady to uh, fans of your music, listeners of our podcast, and especially just in general, all of us who have been through so much um, uh, the last year. Um, and I think that might take some optimism and hope from your song, uh, All Eyes on Me. Oh my God, that's a lot there. Um, You've got it in you. Don't be so... <laughs> don't be so quick to judge. Have an open mind and Give everything a chance because you don't know what you're going to miss. Uh, is that good enough? And that's what the wise lady um, said, all right? Yeah, and that's what the wise lady said. And it's been a really crap, well, last year and half of this year because we're just coming out of lockdown. Um, yeah, don't take people or your animals or pets for granted. There we go. All hippie there. All right. Um, love Amazing. it. And Sarah, we love you, and we thank you so much, not just for your time, but for all your work over the years. And um, for the listeners, if they weren't paying attention, Torn Between Two Worlds is your latest band that has two singles available on Bandcamp and other platforms you can look for. Um, and you can go back and re-listen to this interview if you want to. I'm not going to mention all the other bands and projects again, but it's there. Um, so we thank you so much for your time. Well, do I put the phone down now? No, no. Or do you hang <laughs> on? Right, and that's what the wise lady said. Sarah Jezebel Diva. Wow. I I feel good. I was going to say, I feel lighter. I usually feel like kind of tired after the interviews. You know, no matter who it is, there's good people. You know, sometimes you're a little warm. I feel up. I feel like I'm going to go like like pet my cat, maybe work on something productive, do a chore, you know, say something affirming in the mirror to myself. Yeah, I'm going to cook dinner for the family now. I gotta, there you go. You know, yeah. just do. So, I got to do good now after this. This yeah. is a, a beautiful interview. What a beautiful soul. What uh, a wonderful woman. I'm not going to use the L word again. Legend. She's a legend. All right. Sorry, Sarah. <laughs> but um, 
serious, all serious, all kidding aside, and all due seriousness, we respect uh, her work. We respect her candor, keeping it very real with us tonight, and her yeah. down-to-earth humility. Thank you so much to tonight's guest, Sarah Jezebel Diva. Um, we already gave all the credits due to her different projects, bands, and albums over the years. We hope you go back and research that legacy and that catalog, uh, especially after you familiarize yourself with the two latest singles by Torn Between Two Worlds, uh, the newest project featuring both Sarah Jezebel Diva and Christian uh, Wren, I believe his name, I hope I didn't get it wrong, formerly of Evergrey and many other bands, Mm -hmm. world-class producer and musician. Um, And we hope you enjoyed that interview uh, I'm not going to recommend anything to anybody. I, I've spent all night recommended Sarah Jezebel Deep. That's right. There's enough here. Uh, you all have homework already. Yeah. Go do a book report on all that stuff we talked about. Uh, we gave you a nice long interview. She gave you some uh, like life advice. Definitely. Like, like how to look at. Don't let the people judge you. Who cares no. if they judge you? You know that's, what I'm saying? That's right. You Stay want, being you. Keep going. I'm not going to let anybody judge my recommendation today. I'm going to keep it to myself. <laughs> how about that? That's right. You know what I'm saying? But. If you want to judge us for who we are and what we say and what we do, you can go to heavyholepodcast.com. You can judge me all you want. I don't care. I'm going to do what I like. All right? Uh, but if you judge it to be something you'd like to support, the Patreon link is there. You can That's get right. extra content, some bonus content. We're working on it for you. Yeah. Um, deep. We'll, we, we didn't let them know the surprise today. We didn't let them know Sarah was coming on. That's right. Every once in a, we got to keep it under wraps sometimes. But every once in a while, we let you know who's coming on. You can insert your own question mm-hmm. into the interview. You can try try to get your whole narrative going with all your bullshit. No, no. The listeners don't do that. They're nice people. I'm sorry, Justin. I'm, I like the listeners. Uh, interject yourselves as much as you can. Yeah. Um, you know, take advantage. Uh, yeah. Use it while uh, while we're still around. Yeah. Take take advantage of that website and order yourself a shirt or a patch. Do we still have those? Sure do. Yeah. yeah. Hit up the heavyholepodcast.com slash shop. It's yeah. right next to the Patreon button. Oh. Get yourself very- a nice white t-shirt uh, yeah. for the summer. Great barbecuing shirt. Great. Uh, you know, I, I like to wear shirts at the beach. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, reflects all those uh, sun rays. Keeps you cool. Yeah. A nice white long sleeve shirt. Perfect for fishing. The sun. Oh yeah, we, we yeah. gotta get those sleeves on there. We neglected to ask Sarah if she's ever been fishing. They do fish over there in Britain. They do. Yeah, it's an island. I believe. Part two. Yeah. All right. Question part mark? two. Part two. Part two. That's right. All right. Uh, yeah, you could also. Uh, hell, uh, you have a phone. You have a phone. You have a you landline, preferably. Yeah, I have, uh, I have a jitterbug. Phone. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I have the jitterbug. Call us on your clear phone that's plugged in in your bedroom. Six three one eight three seven three two seven four. Vent. Yeah. Uh, tell us what's on your mind. Tell me how many birds are living in your house. Why are um, you mad? Yeah. Why? Why are you mad at me? Why are you mad at Big Will? What did I do to you? Why what? you mad? Why are you glad? Why yeah. are you happy? Why are you happy about me? I don't know you. <laughs> no, I, I know all the listeners. Person, I hope you all feel like you know me. I love you guys. It's, That's right. It's, it's right. just an act. I try to be a little aggressive. It's funny. Okay. So, Justin, uh, thanks again to Sarah Jezebel D. I'm right. not going to say her name again. I'm not going to call her a legend again, but we thank her very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful guest, beautiful human being. We wrapped it up, uh, put it in the box. It's out there for you. Check out all her new music That's and right. all her old music. Um, and stay tuned to heavyholepodcast.com. Find us on all your favorite, the Spotify and the whatever, and look us up. Yeah. We're, we even, we're on Bandcamp. No. No, like not the podcast. Like you can't listen to this part. You can't get this part. But you can get like the dangerous thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah you that's, can. That's that's people. That's Justin and Tom. Wow, and- you can get the dangerous thing. Five tapes left. Yeah, five it's, tapes left, yeah. and they're gone forever. Get yourself a bandana. Dangerous thing. Look for that. Yeah, the bandana thing. I got to talk to you guys about Ooh. that. We don't. 
I don't want you to, to, to be you know throwing up colors in the wrong neighborhood. It's you come it's to true. Huntington Station, it's That's crazy. Right. All right, but we'll get on to that another time. Gotta be careful. Yeah, heavy hole podcast. Uh, I hope you're careful. Um, respectful of your colors. Yeah, respectful of your colors. When it comes to colors, uh, I only wash how many at a time. One. I got to do my underwear. Let's go.